Welcome, everybody, back into Down the Line. As always, I'm your host, Carson Breber, and we have a lot of fun stuff to get to today. So we just had a pretty great week of tennis after the French Open with tournaments in St. Petersburg, which was definitely the best draw out of the bunch, but also in Cologne and Sardinia. And a lot of young guys really stood out. So today, we're only going to talk about the young guys. If you're over 24, you don't exist as far as this episode goes. And we have to start with the biggest winner of them all, the guy who has just been a shining star on tour for this entire year, and Andre Rublev. And I've talked about him time and again. He came out as hot as anyone to start 2020. He has, by and large, sustained that level. Hasn't had a single bad result, basically, the entire year. He's now 34-7 and with four titles up to world number eight. And I said... A couple weeks ago, during the French, he's a top eight player in tennis. It's just whether or not we're ready to come to terms with it because he has risen so meteorically, and the guy is clearly at that level. He's been a top five player on tour this year, and he will be 23 in two days, so he certainly fits the young guy bill, especially with how much he has grown in this season because the dude has always been a phenomenal talent. He's always been able to hit the hell out of the ball, had an explosive serve, but it's just been about whether or not he could rein it in and be able to play with that level of control and consistency that he needed. And time and again this year, he has done that. He's done it on all surfaces. He's done it against all opponents. He has such beautiful variety on his serves. His backhand is so steady. His forehand is a weapon. He can whip it with some heavy topspin. He can flatten it out as well as anyone on tour. And I think that now the question has to be asked of if he is the best young Russian player on tour. And certainly... I don't think he would have been the second guy in that conversation coming into this year. You would have taken Kachanov, and certainly Medvedev is the top pick. But on the flip side of this, the young guy who hasn't performed at a high level as of late is Daniil Medvedev, who nobody was higher than me coming into on this year. I predicted he would be in the top two in the world at some point this year because he was so unbelievably dominant in the hardcourt stretch last year, won 29 of 32 matches, made six straight finals, and now in 2020... I would argue there hasn't been a single tournament where he's lived up to expectations. And you can argue the U.S. Open because he was a semifinalist there. That's fine. He had a pretty easy route there outside of playing Rublev and, in my opinion, really underperformed in that semifinal where he could have won both the second and third sets against team, kind of choked both of those away. And since Shanghai of last year, which was the end of his incredibly hot stretch, he is 16-13. and 13. He lost in back-to-back clay tournaments in the first round recently. He was upset really early in a couple of indoor hard tournaments earlier this year. And I think the issue is he just can't put people away. His highest level isn't high enough right now. Look at how he played versus Opelka, who, yes, is having a good year, but Medvedev should blow him off the court. And you look at how he approaches that matchup. He's hitting low balls without pace, as Medvedev is prone to do against a 6'8 guy who you expect to make a lot of errors. Nothing wrong with that. He's hunched over just brushing these balls back. And yeah, Medvedev is going to win that matchup nine times out of ten. And he's holding serve. He's playing defense. Fine, that's all good and well. That's what Medvedev does. And that worked for a set. As Opelka's game started to break down because mechanically his strokes aren't really geared to hit 15 good balls in a row. And sometimes his slice breaks down and he's prone to taking unnecessary risks. And then he started hitting his forehand better. Opelka did started really controlling and being rather dominant at the net, and Medvedev hit some great passing shots. He played some good defense. He continued to get back more returns than the average man would, but he goes down because basically Opelka plays better attacking tennis, fires a couple big forehands in the last game, doesn't get broken, and it's not like Medvedev played terribly, but he just has to be better than that. And this is the thing with Medvedev. If you go back to when he got upset by Pospisil, he was just flat out outplayed. Didn't beat himself whatsoever, but Pospisil's serving and volleying. He's taking advantage of the pace of that court. 
And Medvedev is still there doing his thing. Yes, bombing serves, hitting these flat balls that are tricky for some people, but if you can attack on those balls consistently and not beat yourself, you will probably beat Medvedev. And that's what comes back to the question I asked earlier. How high can he really go when so many other guys' best days are better than his best day? Because I will go back to that stretch when he won 29 of 32 matches last year and his only losses were twice versus Rafa and once versus Kyrgios. My thought was this. He'll struggle versus the big three, even though he did beat Djokovic in that stretch, just because those are the kind of guys who aren't going to be thrown off by the junk, who are such exceptional returners that Medvedev isn't going to get as many free points, who are just going to be able to hit a cleaner ball for long enough to control that match and just basically play Medvedev off the court. But for everyone who Medvedev is better than, I thought he's really not going to get upset much at all because he doesn't beat himself for the most part because he's not going to force himself to attack, because he's going to throw so much weird stuff at you that is going to force you to commit errors. And now if you look at what he's done this year, he keeps getting upset, more than just about any other top guy on tour. And when I compare him to Rublev, the other young Russian, I just see a younger, more prototypical star in Rublev putting in far more consistent results with a more beautiful game. And again, I was a huge believer in Medvedev because I thought this is an unconventional guy. Nobody else plays like them. He has this unique combination of being able to win so many points automatically with his serve. He can flatten out his forehand when he needs to. He also plays just unreal defense at 6'6". Such a great mover. Such incredible control on his slice. Can throw lobs at you. Hits these great passing shots. And I saw this come together and I thought, nobody else is going to see a guy like this on tour other than when they're playing him. And now I kind of have to wonder was last year fluky because he had this meteoric ascent where he's basically irrelevant until he's 22 years old, which is atypical in tennis if you're going to be a high-level guy. And then he goes from world number 65 to world number 16 by the end of 2018, and he wins three titles in 2018, and that was an impressive stretch. But then the next year at 23 years old, takes it to another level, goes from world number 16 to world number four, obviously has that incredible stretch and beats Djokovic and makes the U.S. Open final and does all these crazy things, and now you zoom out, and you take away those few insane months of tennis from a guy who is 24 years old, closer to 25 at this point, and he's 10 and 18 in his career on clay. We'll see how he fares on grass in his career. We have a limited sample there. I'm not particularly confident. I don't think that it favors his style of play. And so I'm kind of doing a 180 on Medvedev because I was so high on him. I thought that he was the kind of guy who could be a multiple time slam champ just because he could dismantle the game of his opponent. And now I'm just concerned if that's sustainable because he's lost to so many guys who he should have beaten. And Rublev hasn't done that. And I do want to continue to heap praise onto this guy because he has improved so much this year to the point where now I like his game more than Zverev's. I like his game more than Tsitsipas. And maybe that sounds crazy, but Zverev and Tsitsipas are these big guys who are never going to blow you off the court. They move exceptionally well for their size. They're aware of that. Both of them are arguably most comfortable on clay and their styles favorite to a certain extent. They have these nice topspin strokes, and they'll run around a couple feet behind the baseline. Rublev dictates the, how the match is played every time out. He attacks, he moves well, he serves beautifully. Mentally, yes, he probably still has some room to grow, as do the other two guys, but he never fades in the same way. And when I say that, I mean... Sitsipas has had some mental collapses. He's been upset early in slams far too much since he established himself as a star. Yes, understandably, a young guy in his early 20s, but these guys are held to a different standard. Zverev, obviously, we all know the struggles that he's had in the biggest moments throughout his entire career. The guy can barely hit a second serve right now. And Rublev, yes, hasn't beaten the big three like these guys have, hasn't had that signature result at a slam where he makes a semis run or whatever. 
but I would rather have this tremendously talented, slightly overly aggressive guy at times maybe who just reins it in, and I don't even think he's there anymore. That's where he was coming into the season, where sometimes he would blast balls all over the place and just beat himself. He doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't lose to people he's supposed to beat. You have to outplay him to win, but he is going to win on his terms, and that to me is incredibly impressive. Four titles already this year, seven losses out of 41 matches. He's been a top five player on tour undisputedly. So when you're doing the Young Guys episode, even though the rest of the crew can be exciting and there's a couple guys who have the more impressive career resumes at this point, you got to start with Rublev right now. He's playing the best tennis of all of them by far, by far. But I mentioned the guys who get you a little excited, the guys who are a little bit more unproven, and we got to start with Carlos Alcaraz because Alcaraz mania is back. I'm the only one who calls it that to my knowledge, but... It started way back in March when he had that win over Ramos Vinolas when he was just 16 years old, and now he is playing at a higher level than ever before. Just one, a challenger in Alicante. He's up to world number 136 at 17 years old. Started this year at number 490. He's 20-3 and three on the challenger tour since it came back a couple months ago. He has won three challenger titles now, making him the second youngest player to ever do that after just Gasquet, who was a phenom and was a prodigious talent and he made another challenger final in this stretch. And it's not just that he's winning matches, because he was winning futures tournaments early in the year too, but this is a different level now. Look who he's beating. He beat Pedro Martinez, who is 9-8 and eight on tour-level matches this year, just made the third round of the French. Beat him to win this last tournament in Alicante. He beat Jumhur, who is a very legitimate pro, three career titles, was number 23 in the world two years ago. Beat Daniel Altmaier, who just made the fourth round of the French. Beat Lorenzo Mosetti, who to me is another young phenom who we are going to talk about shortly. And yes, he's done all of this on clay, but also the early, only tournament that he's played on hard this year, which was a Futures, he won. So it's tough to separate my opinion of Alcaraz from the fact that we've only seen him on clay, but I'm going to try to do that right now because there is at least a decent sample size of him on that surface where he's consistently winning at this incredibly young age. So what I'm going to do right now is go over whether or not I think Alcaraz meets the criteria for the truly great players. Because if you look at the formula that has been laid out on tour right now, obviously Federer, Rafa, Djokovic, they have their distinct differences, but there's certain criteria that all of those guys share. And you can throw in most other top 10 players into that mix as well. So the first thing is movement. All of those guys are great movers. And obviously Rafa and Djokovic might be number one and number two all time in that respect. Federer, not quite there at 39 years old, but an incredibly efficient, precise mover. Check absolutely on that front for Alcaraz. He's an unbelievable mover, plays incredible defense because of that, just glides around on the clay, so he flies there with passing colors. The ability to beat you in various ways, I think that that one is pivotal. Djokovic and Rafa define that. They are both two of the greatest defensive players and offensive players of all time. I think that Alcaraz passes there. He's a really high-level defensive player. That may be his preference at this point, but he can also flatten out his backhand, and that thing is beautiful when he does that. He can work you around the court with his forehand, where he has this heavy topspin at times, and I think he's comfortable playing both ways. He said that he feels his game more resembles Federer than Rafa. I don't know if I completely agree with that. He's not that kind of consistent, aggressive ball striker yet, in my opinion, but he does have that versatility, so he passes there. Extremely mentally tough. This one is obvious. Rafa is an all-time fighter. Novak is the kind of guy who can dig himself out of any hole. Roger is never going to show any sort of emotional distress at any time. I think that Alcaraz passes there with flying colors because, first off, 
at 17 years old and beginning when he was 16 years old, he's competing with these grown men who are legitimate pros. He's beating these grown men. And you can look at specific moments where in the final versus Martinez, he's down a break in the first set and is having the set served for against him. And he fights back and then he goes up a break and he gives that up. And then he comes back and despite all this adversity, despite the ups and downs of that set, wins a really close tiebreaker, doesn't tighten up in the biggest moments and comes away with that set and then comes away with the match and the title. So I think that he's also a good volleyer, has good touch. I don't know if I could quite put that in the must-have category because Novak Djokovic doesn't really have that and he is on track to be maybe the greatest player of all time. But I do think those are three of the most important criteria that I can basically say if you don't have, you won't be of that caliber. And maybe you could argue that Delpo is a guy who has gotten to a really high level without having all of those things. That's fair. Delpo also has <laughs> maybe the greatest weapon in the history of sport in that forehand. So I think he's in sort of a category of his own as far as just monumental all-time talent. Here are my issues with Alcaraz, though, and why as much as I like him, as excited as I am by having a 17-year-old who was out there beating grown men who have been on tour for years, and trust me, I am very excited. I kind of wanted to lead the show with it just because that is how much I enjoy getting hyped up on these young guys who I can just have so much optimism in because they haven't proven to me that they don't deserve it. They haven't had their shortcomings in the slams. They haven't been beaten in 50 times in a row by the big three. So I enjoy that optimism. But here are my issues with Alcaraz. He still kind of plays junior tennis in my eyes. And what I mean by that is, yes, he can hit a heavy ball. He can flatten out. He can attack. But he doesn't do it that much. He does it enough, but it's not necessarily his preference. And maybe this is a clay-specific thing. But he hits a good amount of loopy balls. And yes, that allows him to play defense and to get back in the point. That's fine. I haven't seen if he does that on hard because I honestly just don't think he's played that much there in his career. The ITF only has five career matches on hard on record for him. So I worry a bit about his comfort level there. Now, I could see him taking the ball early. I could see him attacking on that surface. I haven't seen it yet, though. And I think if he hits some of these defensive balls, certainly on hard, he will get punished more. And if it's against true top-level competition, I think guys might attack and put some of those more balls away and run him around a little bit more. And another thing with just the junior tennis idea is he's 6'1", 159. And obviously, there are a bunch of very skinny tennis players. It's not like you have to be beefy. You don't have to be overly physical. But I do worry a bit about the physicality of his game, and specifically with his serve, at 6'1", he should be able to get more power on it consistently than he does right now. The guy cannot hit a flat serve. Tosses the ball so far to his left to where his only options are to kick it or slice it. And he's got a nice kick. I'll give him credit for that. It's not overwhelming. It kind of just looks like a really good second serve every time. And it is far from being a weapon right now. And yes, when you talk about the criteria for the great players, which I have laid out, you can argue Djokovic and Rafa's serves aren't weapons, but... Rafa's lefty serve can be punishing with the movement, with the angles that he's able to hit. Novak can bomb it up the tee when he needs to and can flatten it out. And Alcaraz is not close there. So he basically gets no free points, which is just going to make life really hard on you forever. So I'm just not sure about his ceiling. I think he has a good infrastructure to succeed with Ferrero as his coach. I think that the guy just knows how to win matches, which is so important. And you can have a fantastic long career with that skill. Look at a guy like Ferrero or a similar name like David Ferrer, who is just capable to run around all day, to play smart, to play hard. And I think that Alcaraz has more upside than that. 
but I'm not sure where he goes from here. So I want to see him in these big matches over the next year. I want to see him competing against the real top guys. I was hoping he would get into the French. He lost in qualifying there, but regardless, what he's doing on the Challenger Tour right now is unbelievable. It is so impressive, so special. I just wonder if he profiles as really that kind of top-tier slam-winning guy that I want him to be, and he will continue to grow probably and continue to improve, and he is still a little bit behind in his development comparatively to a guy like Lorenzo Musetti, who I want to talk about right now. Because, I'll be honest, Musetti blows me away in a way that Alcaraz just doesn't right now. He's also over a year older, and he just plays more of a man's game right now, and maybe Alcaraz grows in that respect, and that's a real possibility, but to give credit to Musetti, he's now up to world number 123, and obviously has had a really impressive stretch, just got to the round of 16 in Rome, where he first made waves, and first really put himself on the map with me, even though he had been a fantastic junior, oftentimes you're going to get more attention from me at least if you make a great run in a couple challengers than if you are competing in a junior slam just because it's still a different level of play. It's when you're competing against your peers versus when you're competing against the guys who are supposedly on another level. And then after Rome, he won a challenger when he had a really tough route to do so, beat Gabashvili, then Tiafo, then Seppi, then Lloyd Harris, then Montero. That's four straight top 100 wins. That's really impressive to do at 18 years old. Those are not easy walkover victories. And then in Sardinia this past week, beats Pablo Cuevas, which is a really quality win, wins a couple more matches convincingly, and then goes down to Laszlo Gere in the semifinals in a match that was going three, that he won the first set rather easily in, and then unfortunately just had to withdraw from due to injury, and Gere ended up winning that tournament. So that's a legitimate loss, even though the match didn't finish out. And I will be honest, when I talk about my questions with the ceiling of Alcaraz, I just watch Musetti and think that guy could be a world number one. I talked about how I think he very well might be the better prospect than Sinner because the pace that he plays with, the physicality is just unreal. I'm honestly not sure that he doesn't win that tournament if he's fully healthy. And I'm not sure what the extent of his injury was. He did almost finish the match against Jere, but the dude's backhand is just shot out of a cannon and his forehand is punishing and he has great touch and he's really good at the net. And if he gets a bigger serve, because he has a little bit of Alcaraz syndrome there in which he really only kicks it or slices it. And again, it's clay, so the flat serve is less effective and these guys have grown up on clay and maybe they can develop a flatter serve. All of these things are reasonable outcomes, in my opinion. Although Musetti has already shown that he can really produce at a high level on hard because of what he did at the Junior Australian. And I hope to see him play there as well in his pro career rather soon. But if he does get that bigger serve, I feel like he's a more aggressive team. That's what I see from him. I see that kind of blasting one-hander that he can flatten out with such unbelievable success and can just move dudes around the court with his forehand and blow them off the court. It's that kind of power, that ability to do it from both sides that just reminds me of team, the physicality. And he's just, to me, on a completely different level than Alcaraz right now. And yes, Alcaraz just beat him. So... Maybe I'm wrong there, but I also feel like that speaks a little bit to the fact that Alcaraz just knows how to win matches. He's just so mentally tough. He's so smart, whereas Musetti might have a little further to go in that respect, but the tools are just on a different level, in my opinion. I think he's that special. So those are the real, real young guys who really excite me to talk about. I really enjoy it, and I just so desperately want to see them play at a higher level with these guys more consistently, and hopefully we will soon with both of them, and hopefully they both become stars. That is my dream outcome. 
because the next gen is obviously not doing it. So we have to just invest in the next next gen as they are called. But I do want to talk about a signature member of the next gen who has been in some ways the epitome of the disappointment of this era of tennis. And yeah, that sounds harsh, but I think that it's also by and large fair. And that is Alexander Zverev, who just had a great result in Cologne. Nice for him to get his first title of the year, beating Felix Ojeali-Assim. I thought that he hit his backhand really well, was dictating a good amount of points with that, which is impressive to see. He played good defense. That was his priority throughout most of the match, was just to get balls back. Only had five double faults, which for him is practically a miracle. Yes, one of them was very untimely, did give up a break in the first set when he was serving for it and barely looked like he hit the ball, was so scared to go up and get it. Yes, you're going to have that from Zverev every time out. At least he didn't kill himself with it. But it was a rather easy title. Only had to go through one top 60 guy to get it in Felix. And he's won these kind of tournaments for his whole career. Alexander Zverev at this point at 23 years old winning a 250 doesn't exactly excite me. And I want to take this opportunity to zoom out a bit on what this year has been for him. Because I talk about him all the time. And this year has just been the definition of a mixed bag in my opinion. Because even though he's had his two best slam results of his career, so many times he has just left me disappointed. And you can point to the U.S. Open where he played such terrible tennis. You can point to his loss against team in the Australian when he was just letting team dictate for that entire match and didn't understand the adjustments he had to make. And yeah, those are both disappointments that came in the midst of the best runs of his career, but also he has the loss to Tommy Paul in Acapulco. Just not a really consistent level of play. And we saw it recently at the French where Sinner just beat him right off the court, was the better player that day. Because I think he's the more talented player or at least has a better understanding of how to utilize his talent. And I just don't know what's Zverev right now. I'm going to put some concrete numbers to the disappointment that I'm referring to because I talk about it a lot. And maybe it seems unfair at times for a guy who is in the top eight in the world and has been there for four years now, has been a fixture, and is just 23. But the thing is, he's taken a step back consistently. And yes, the improved results in two slams this year, I also don't think that happens probably in the U.S. Open, if not for obviously the absence of Djokovic and Rafa and Fed because... He played pretty well to get to the final and then was just absolutely hideous as that match came to a close. Was so tight, so mentally distraught, so incapable of finding his best level when he needed it. But to provide the contrast between the last couple years of Zverev and the 2017-2018. In 2017 and 2018, he won three Masters 1000s, won the ATP Finals, won two 500s, and then also won three more 250s. So six legitimate titles, four really big titles, and nine titles overall. In 2019 and 2020, he has won two 250s, and in pursuit of those two titles, has beaten one top 60 guy in total, that being Felix this year. So, that's over two years now. He also has a 63-33 and 33 record in 2019 and 2020, that's 65.6% winning, versus 2017 and 18, he was 117-41, and 41. that's 74% winning, so over an 8% decrease there. And that's not the direction you want to be trending in your early 20s. And when you hear him talk about how he thinks about the U.S. Open final 25 to 30 times a day, and he has this double faulting problem that is beyond anything I've ever seen from a player of this caliber, I just think mentally he is so troubled. And again, I feel like I need to see him be more aggressive because maybe it's not natural for him to blow people off the court, and I understand that. But he also has to be able to dictate when he needs to, and... If his strategy is going to be to come in all the time, like he tried to do against team in a certain stretch, then he's got to be better at finishing off those points. And I also think that he needs to understand that forcing it isn't going to be what does it for him because it just looks unnatural when he's rushing the net, in my opinion. So 
I just have so many things with him where I point at and say, I felt better about him two, three years ago where we were all just high on the fact that a guy this talented and this young was world number three. We hadn't seen that in a very long time. He was doing that at 20 years old, 20. And now here we are at 23 and he's taken a step back and things just need to change for him soon. Very soon in my opinion. And maybe that means that his dad stops coaching him. I don't really know if that's going to happen in the foreseeable future. I don't know if Ferrer is exactly the kind of guy that he needs because does he need to be coached up on being more consistent and more passive? I certainly don't think so. The guy just needs a psychologist in my opinion. And he needs the kind of advanced tennis mind who can communicate to him what he needs to do to improve. But more than anything, he just needs someone who can get through to him and can show him where he needs to improve and can support him to where he can grow because this guy should be a slam champ in his career undeniably. When you look at his talent on paper, he's 6'6", he can serve in the 130s, he can stroke the ball beautifully from both sides, he's an incredible mover, and he just doesn't play at that level. So I talk about this a lot, I talk about my disappointment with Zverev, and congratulations to him for a good result. I do think, though, it wasn't like he played unbelievable tennis because when you compare him to Felix who he beat, who I want to talk about briefly, Felix totally had his opportunities. And he's 0-6 in career finals right now, which is certainly a tough record. Also, I would first congratulate him, though, on making six finals by 20 years old. That is pretty unbelievable. And with Felix, it's just a few little things where he's not quite as polished. He's not quite as developed as other guys who are in this tier of young players who we talk about. Zverev's playing six feet behind the baseline and... Felix is sort of just pounding balls back at him down the middle. And yeah, Zverev is going to be able to get those back all day. And there was some times where his point development was good, but I think he's got to throw in more variety. He's got to hit more drop shots. He's got to close into the net more where he's fantastic. He's an unbelievable volleyer, has great touch and instincts there. And sometimes he just gets a little sloppy. He slaps at the ball. His technique drops off a little bit. So Felix is obviously going to be fine. The question to me is just, how high is his ceiling? Can he be a top five guy? Can he be a potential world number one? I'm certainly leaning towards no as far as world number one. Maybe top five, we'll see. But I think that goes with his ability to dictate and to do so consistently. Because if he's making these errors, then he's just going to beat himself more often than not. We saw it against team in the U.S. Open where he just played so poorly, was blasting balls all over the court. After early on, he looked pretty darn good. So it's just keeping up that level. It's keeping up the technique. And I have faith in him. He's 20 years old. He's already doing such impressive things. So yeah, congratulations to Zverev for beating him. I also don't think Zverev quite beat him as much as Felix beat himself. And that's not to take away from Zverev. He still played a good match. He did what he had to do to win. That's fine. But if he goes up against a better player on that day, he's going to need to make adjustments. He's going to need to be more aggressive. And I'm not sure if he would have done that. I want to talk briefly as well to conclude the Young Guy episode about the one who I probably discuss the most, Felix's countryman, Denis Shapovalov, who had another strong result, but really just another so close moment where he goes down 6-4 in the third to Rublev, and there's nothing wrong with that. Almost everybody is going down to Rublev right now, and we already talked about that, but it's just the cumulative effect of what has happened to him in this stretch where it follows a heartbreaking loss to Carballes Baena in the French, 8-6 in the fifth. And that was after the heartbreaking loss to Schwartzman in the third set tiebreak in Rome when he had a huge opportunity to have a career-defining result potentially. And that was after the heartbreaking loss to Carreño Busta in the U.S. Open where he had played great tennis and had clearly been the better player through four sets and then just collapsed in the fifth. His last six losses have now been in the deciding set. 
that is just an incredible stat to me. So Shapovalov is playing at a high level. He's been playing at a really high level since he was 18 years old. And this to me is still the best he's ever played. He's put together a relatively consistent string of results after a really brutal start to 2020. And I'm really glad to see him turn around and rally in that respect. But at some point, you just have to see the wins. And I talk about this all the time. I don't want to harp on it. I don't want to go against Shapovalov. But there's just a gap between him and a guy like Rublev right now. It's only four spots in the rankings, but Rublev is just out there consistently obliterating guys who he's better than. And Shapovalov, you see, and he gets so close. He gets so close so often and then generally just falls a little bit short. And he is a little bit younger. He's also a little bit more talented, in my opinion. And there's certainly room to grow. I just want to see it happen sooner rather than later because this entire group has just taken longer to blossom than most, which is why I tune in on guys like Musetti and Alcaraz because I think maybe they will be the great guy who breaks through at 19, and I really don't think it's likely. I don't think either of them are there in their developments, but that is generally how tennis has gone. The truly great guys break through by 20 or by 19, and this is just a different era right now, and I'm okay with that. So shout out to the young guys, all of them. They're working hard. They're grinding out there for their points. We'll see how Medvedev finishes off this year because he's down at world number six right now and maybe he rallies, maybe he makes a run in Paris or at the year-end finals. That would be exciting and I hope that he does. He's not quite playing at that level right now though. So all of these guys are fun to watch and it's going to be more fun to see how they continue to grow and develop. So that's going to do it for us here today. I've been Carson Breber and this was Down the Line.